welcome to episode 52 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. <laughs> Our official one year mark, 52 weeks in the year, 52 podcasts. We did it. Us. We did it. You got high five. We had some close calls. There were. We've had some, uh, maybe one of us can't do it. You guys should do it anyway, but we... Held off, we said no, we're a team. Some sickness, some general laziness, conflicting schedules. We've we've soldiered on through a lot of rough times this year. The three of us have... Yeah, bad shingles. Uh, We've really committed to to this podcast. All three of us have been on every single one of those 52 episodes. That's true, but we're not the kind of guys that toot our own horns. Well, I... Aside from, but it was in my ear. What was something going on over here? No. It looked like you were looking no. like just to the left of my head. No. Was his shadow like doing things? It was dancing on yeah, the wall. He was just sitting like, there. It was going move. Had like a pitchfork for a second. Yeah. I was like, "What's he see? What's he see?" My name is Paul McGinty. With me are Ian Sharpley. Hello, and Matt Cassell. Good evening. It is Monday. April 14th, and we are here to talk about what we talk about best, dealer's choice. Yeah, a little dealy chili. <laughs> slow week, a little bit of a slow week. A little bit of a slow week. And we, when there's a slow week, we do dealer's, dealer's choice. choice. <laughs> <laughs> so before we do dealer's choice, why don't we have some housekeeping with Ian Sharpley? Left of my head. 52 weeks of podcast gold. Where can you find it? McSauce.com. You can check out the podcast on Wednesday that features the lovely Matt Cassell and the even lovelier Paul McGinty and myself. What? Lovelier? I am lovely. Well, you are. I'm a lovelier. You know what? Probably I take loveliest. It, I take it all oh. back. Equal lovosity or well, how whatever. <laughs> Where do you rank on the loveliness scale? I'm just, I'm just the everyman. I'm just the, uh, the grunt that pushes this thing along. You can check out the strips on Tuesdays and Fridays, reviews on Mondays and Thursdays. Go to the Facebook page and like us. Go to iTunes and subscribe. It'll come right to your mobile device or computer. And uh, we really like feedback. We are trying to get approximately, or I guess not approximately, we're trying to get mm. 20 <clears throat> reviews by, I'd say, the beginning of summer. We have nine to go. Lofty goals, lofty goals. We review, We received a review, a five-star review, from XTY444. That says, can't go wrong listening to these hilarious, insightful entertainers. So that was extremely nice of uh, XTY444. So thank you very much, whoever you are out there. Thanks, XTY444. We greatly appreciate it. And if you like this podcast, then support some of our friends uh, over at Fireside Chat with Ryan McCormick. I appear this week with the podcast sensation Joe Saxman. We talk about the 
school stabbing that happened at Franklin Regional. For those of you that aren't from this area, um, something that hit kind of close to home. So that was uh, something that we talked about on a fireside chat. Please check them out. In the next couple weeks, uh, I'll be on a couple different episodes so you can hear more of me there over there. Uh, do you ever do housekeeping for any of those? I never do housekeeping for them. I'm just a guest mm-hmm. on those episodes. But like, don't you kind of feel like because you're you're kind of a pro at it? Trust me, I've tried housekeeping. <laughs> it's not as easy as it looks. And don't you kind of feel like you need to just interject and take over? Because you know that you can do it. It's like watching somebody try to, like, draw something and they can't do it. And you're like, just move. Let me do it. I wouldn't want to step on their toes. Ryan McCormick is a excellent podcaster. And he does his own version of housekeeping. Mm-hmm. Does his plugs. Very skilled at doing that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to step all over and let trample me, him. Let me ask you something. Because I can tell based on Paul's look on his face. Who do you think is a better housekeeper, you or Ryan McCormick? Ryan McCormick, by far. So wait, here on the McSauce Comic Book Podcast, 52 episodes in, you're not better? What can I say? And you are... You should go and listen to it yourself, and then you can make that determination. I'm very humble. I wouldn't say... What if I agree with you? I mean, should... Then maybe we can get Ryan in here to do it. To replace you? He's pretty good. Check him out. Paul. He's also fairly ethnic. Ryan he, McCormick? Uh-huh. What is he? There's some debate, though. Sometimes, sometimes he thinks he's white, sometimes he's Mexican. I'm not sure about this Ryan McCormick character. I'd like to see him give housekeeping a shot. Well, you can check out how he does his plugs and housekeeping over at a fireside chat. iTunes, Libsyn.com. How long is a fireside chat? It's about an hour plus. Mm-hmm. Give it a give it a listen and hear me talk serious about some so shit. So it's not as uh, long as as our ride in the park, is it? No. The um, we did episodes about our least favorite movies and our top five guilty pleasures, and those were about an hour and a half long each. Mm. So about as long as a McSauce podcast. Mm-hmm. But the um, Franklin Regional one, I think, was an hour long. But. Tonight, we're going to talk dealer's choice. Who knows? I don't know what we're going to talk about tonight. I would like to start with my aggravation with Harrison Ford. The fact that Harrison Ford always takes a giant shit on the Star Wars franchise, be it jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, or if he's 100% serious, has always rubbed me the wrong way. His latest offense. He did a ask me anything on Reddit, and naturally some fan gets on and is like, Who shot first, Han or Greedo? And what does Harrison Ford say? I don't know. I don't care. On to the next question. Were there any questions that he fielded that he was interested in answering, not like a douchebag? Um, yeah, anything that wasn't Star Wars related, he gave a fairly robust answer for. Um, like, I, I understand that Harrison Ford's sense of humor is real dry, exceedingly dry. I cannot think of a drier sense of humor than, than Harrison Ford's. And I, I, 
Under- Matt Cassell comes to mind. And I understand that yeah. that may have been completely... He may have been completely Josh and the fans. But he does it every time Star Wars is brought up. I know you're not a big sci-fi fan. You wish that it killed Han. And Star Wars is just more of a pain in the ass than anything Harrison Ford. But throw the fans a bone once in a while. You know, Han Solo is a beloved character. You played Han Solo. Just say... Of course Han shot first. Next question. That's all the fans are looking for. You don't need to be giant douchebag all the time. To play devil's advocate, I kind of agree with you, but could he maybe not want to answer that directly like you had suggested because he would offend George Lucas, who essentially gave him his career? I think he sort of offends George Lucas all the time by not taking Star Wars seriously. Because he he never answers a question serious about what it. What about... I mean, I feel like he's so you know, playful about Star Wars. Like, less than a year ago when he was on Jimmy Kimmel, and he did that whole bit where they were going to let the fans and the audience ask questions, and everybody that stood up to ask the question was dressed as a Star Wars character. <laughs> and he totally played along. Yeah, and they did it the way Harrison Ford wanted to do it, and he played pissed off and you know like he was being put out by these planted questions in the audience well i just want him to yeah but i just want to see him embrace it a little one of them was chewbacca and he was like she was my wife you son of a bitch you couldn't keep it in your furry pants yeah but again it's a like it's a joke and he's joking about it but again it's kind of slanderous on the material at this point, do you think he's ever going to come around? I don't think he's ever going to embrace I it. I don't, so. and he's such a such a big star. I don't think he gives a fuck about offending George Lucas. Uh, you know, no, I think he does, because number one, he wants to make more Indiana Jones movies. So saying, you know, Chewbacca is an adulterer is less slanderous than saying, of course Han Solo shot first. Yes, because... Even if he says it with a wink and smile. Clearly, the Chewbacca is an adulterer is 100% humor. There's no... Hey, you know, Chewbacca is, is of a questionable moral character. Like, that is not at all the point. So, yeah. Um, and I think that Harrison Ford really likes Indiana Jones, and he wants to still be Indiana Jones and that's still affiliated with Lucasfilm, although it is Disney, but I still think that he's going to be respectful to that brand. Now, um, he, he's very professional. Like whenever he goes out and he plugs a movie, he says all the, the right things about the movie whenever he's on the talk shows and everything. So when the time does come, when he's plugging episode seven, he's going to, be very gracious and, and complimentary of Star Wars, and you'll see a different side of him. He'll be professional about it. Because he has to be, because then he'll be getting a paycheck, and that's going to be his job. Right. Not because he just wants to you know, be cool with some fans who absolutely love and adore his work. And do well, you think that he would ever get cut out or written out of Indiana Jones? I, I think that he still has, unless it's going to be... A complete reboot. I think he still is in the picture. The rumor is that 
the latest rumor. There's probably no truth to this whatsoever, but if anything, on the McSauce Comic Book Podcast, after 51 episodes, we like to report on rumors. <laughs> Whispers. Jump at shadows. Supposedly Disney owns... Now, this part's accurate. Disney owns the future of the Indiana Jones franchise. Paramount still owns the previous movies, so they can distribute those however they see fit for, I guess, the rest of time. But Disney owning the future wants to do something with it, so they want to make an Indiana Jones or two, or maybe even three, fast. And if they can't do it, they're going to look at recasting Indiana Jones as a younger Indiana Jones, and they're looking at supposedly Bradley Cooper. That's the rumor part. How do we feel about recasting? Before we get to recasting Indiana Jones with Bradley Cooper, let's put to get put let's put to bed Harrison Ford. I'm okay with him being, you know, the real real dry, kind of turning his nose up at it because you know, like all the Cohen stuff, it was really funny. But he does it all the time. And I would just like to see a little bit of him, you know, come out and just just give us a little hint that you're maybe you're a little bit appreciative for the work you did with this franchise. Give the fans a bone. But after this many years, he's never going to do it. So it's just wishful full thinking on your part to want him to say something nice or positive. Yeah, and that's that, that's all I'm saying. I want him to to. Be a, be a little positive. Just be a little appreciative when you're not earning a paycheck from Lucasfilm. I've read interviews with him over the years, and he said something along the lines of <clears throat> he has no interest to ever reprise the role of Han Solo. He felt that the character, his arc, went as far as it was going to go, and there was nothing else, so he always wanted him to die at the end of Jedi and this and that. And from what I understand, they were going to have him die, but they decided to make that Lando, and then they ended up having him live. But I've also read things where somebody would hypothetically ask him, and this is all pre-Episode 7 being greenlit, somebody would say, you know, if down the road they decided to make a sequel to Star Wars, would, would you do it? And I've read where he said, well, yeah, I owe so much to George Lucas, I, I would have to. So, his, kind of, his story kind of has changed. But again, that comes off as, it's his obligation. Not because he's like, yeah, let's go ahead and do this, this will be fun. That's true, because that's more his attitude toward Indiana Jones. He liked making those. He, I think he looks at those as better movies. I think he's crazy. As much as I love Indiana Jones, I don't feel like they have the substance that a Star Wars movie has. But um, Because Indiana Jones are more just like single-serving adventures where Star Wars is a, is a hero's journey. Star Wars has built a greater mythology. Maybe he just had a right. better time on the set. Maybe he that's just his... I'm sure. His style of... Yeah. I mean, he is the focal character of that. Maybe that has something to yep. do with it as well. Meanwhile, he's... Yeah, he's the main character, but... He's arguably the coolest character in the Star Wars saga. Growing up, did you guys feel that way? Because I didn't. I was always a Luke guy. And it was an eye-opener whenever I got older that people... 
preferred Han Solo over Luke Skywalker. Are we talking like who we like to be with action figures? Like who is our? I'm talking about who you would like to be when you're playing in the backyard with your boys. Are you picking up the blaster or the lightsaber? Luke Skywalker every time. He has superpowers. I agree. I picked Luke Skywalker, but um, I also really liked the Jawa figure, so I like always had him... Of course you would. I always had him do a little extra, you know, he wasn't just a Jawa, he was like one of the main characters. And Would he speak English, or would it just be Jawaese? I think it was English. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was in advanced. He may have been a Jedi in some iteration, so when you played with action figures, at least me... I didn't have, like, a recurring storyline that kept going from, like, you know, each time I would play to the next time to the next time. It would just be like, all right, here's the scenario, and then I would play it out, and it would be done. I think I'd continue on the adventures that happened, really? you know, the previous day. Might leave my toys out. Yeah. Be like, all right, this is where the saga picks up today. Yeah, no, I, I think that would happen occasionally, but for the most part... My my style was more the Indiana Jones style. single serving single adventures. serving adventures, yeah. And nothing was better than when you got to go outside and play outside because you had like real environments and everything. You had like dirt and grass, and your characters were just not on blankets in your or on your countertop or on your bed. They were. In the real world, I, me and me and my friend Bob Mahoney. Oh, love Bob Mahoney. Good old Bob Mahoney. I don't know where we got it, but it it, it must have been from it was this hard styrofoam packing. It must have come with some appliance, but the way the way it was built, it was this big, you know, like five by three rectangle. But on the inside, it had all these dips and divots and these different levels to it. So we'd get, like, Ziploc bags and fill up, like, half of it with water. So we had these different environments inside this big styrofoam. <laughs> All-in-one playset. Yeah, and it, it was really, like, create-your-own playset. And it was the perfect size, like, the, the way the platforms were laid out in it, it was perfect size for Star Wars figures. Mine was always a all-inclusive, house-spanding adventure. The living room was one environment. Underneath the table was, like, the interior, the Death Star. Downstairs was Endor. I had all kinds of shit going all throughout. My mom would always step on my Star Wars figures because mm -hmm. I left them out all the time. My all-time number one playset was the Sandbox. Sandbox is good. I like the Sandbox, too. What, what we had in my neighborhood, my friend Craig had in his backyard they had a creek so we would go down to the creek and craig's creek i remember that craig's place. creek and it just set up just the greatest environment like when you have a real river running through everything for these figures pretty awesome you never had any uh any naturally made water environments yeah if we were doing that it was ziploc bags in the styrofoam <laughs> container <laughs> pretty intense.
But I could probably still shake sand out of my Rancor now if I if I tried. So many of my figures have caked on, hardened clay and sand <laughs> and mud and shit like that. What happened one night at the creek, so in the summertime you would go outside with your figures and you would play from, you know, like the minute you woke up I would ride my bike over Craig's and... We would get out the figures and go to the creek and play with them until it was time to go in for dinner, and then we would just resume the next day, because days, they all blurred together in the summer. But, being seven, eight years old, we didn't have the foresight to think, if it rains tonight, because we left our figures out, because we were just going to resume the next day, if it rains tonight, the shit might wash away. Oh, did he lose a lot of guys? He sure did. We lost a lot of good men. So many. So See, that many. reminds me of the boy who could fly when Fred Savage leaves his action figures out in the backyard and there's a thunderstorm. And he flips out because he can't find one of the guys because it's been washed away in the mud. Yeah, it's, um, I, actually I believe that I was the inspiration for that movie. <laughs> That's a horrible, horrible thing to happen. I never lost any action figures in that manner. The, there's one other one that, for some bizarre reason, I was out in the front yard throwing my Aquaman superpowers figure up in the sky. I don't... What, what a stupid way to play with it. I was just throwing it as high as I could. And it went on the roof of the house. Uh, never saw Aquaman again. I lost Yoda that way. Why the hell do kids do that? Action figures were meant to stay on the ground. Well, we had a clothesline in the backyard. And that... Oh, that launched yeah, that, yeah. that in another dimension of, you know, shooting things into the air. <laughs> you know, Yoda's force powers where he's able to launch himself off clotheslines. Had to Google the old Aquaman superpowers figure. Yeah. Good looking figure. What a great figure. Black, black underwear, though. I guess back in the day he did have black underwear. I'm used to just the green pants. Green belt down. Yeah. So if Indiana Jones gets recast, would you like to see Bradley Cooper in that role? Not particularly. No? No, not really. Do you have a different candidate? Off the top of my head, no. It might be one of those things where an unknown might make more sense. Uh... Truthfully, I've never liked any iteration of Indiana Jones outside of Harrison Ford, so I'm talking about River Phoenix, who, to me, never really seemed like a young Indiana Jones. He just seemed like... A kid. Yeah. You, you're just... It's like, you're telling me it's Indiana Jones, you put the hat on him, and you show me how he gets a scar, and why he's afraid of snakes. It still doesn't feel like a young Harrison Ford to me. Uh... Same thing with... Uh, now, granted, I haven't watched many of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, but um, Sean Patrick Flannery as Young Indiana Jones never really bought that either. Yeah, I didn't really watch many of those either. Um, I want my Indiana Jones to be more of a grown-up. I'm not interested in Hardy Boys-style Indiana Jones adventures. With um, that said, though, that opening sequence in Last Crusade with River Phoenix was one of the best sequences in all three of, or all four of those movies. Yeah. On the train? Yeah. So good. Mm -hmm. I think there are worse 
people that you could get than Bradley Cooper. I think he has a similar charm of Harrison Ford. I think that he has the look. I think he could pull it off. I, I wouldn't hate that if that's the direction they chose. No, I guess I wouldn't hate it either, but there's... Maybe... Maybe this is unfair, but maybe he's lacking just a little bit of that ruggedness. Maybe he's a little too pretty. Uh, I, I don't think. I think no. he, I think if you if you dirty him up yeah. the right way, he he can do it. Okay. Yeah. Like I if mean, you, if if you're gonna say Justin Timberlake's a little too pretty well, for yeah, Jones, no. then yes, absolutely. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm comparing him to too many roles, like off the top of my head, but. Well, he um, is the traditionally handsome guy. Yeah. Played face in A-Team. Yeah. He's the good-looking one in The Hangover. Yeah. And, I mean, I like Bradley Cooper. I I wouldn't say I have a uh, a man crush on him the way that uh, Zach Galifianakis had on him in, in The Hangover series, but I like him. I, I mean, I think he's pretty hilarious when he, when he needs to be and everything, but... Um, you can definitely ugly this guy up. Uh, I've never seen Limitless before. I haven't seen Limitless either. So, maybe maybe uh, an unknown for me would be the way to go. Although, out of the current crop of Hollywood talent that I know of, and I'm not super familiar with who the hell anybody is anymore in Hollywood. I, just I thought you were resident movie guy. Well, I think I, I kind of get movies, but maybe not the... Actors and actresses. And also, I don't think Bradley Cooper is any less handsome than Harrison Ford when he was young. And those were two, you know, ruggedly handsome guys. Okay, alright, alright, maybe I misspoke. I like it. I'd like to see it. And I can't think of anyone else. I honestly would prefer, if they're going to do these new Indiana Jones movies... Michael B. Jordan, we know. (laughs) (laughs) He can do anything. Reboot, younger cast, let's do some early adventures with Indiana Jones. I'd be into that. Pre-Raiders era. Right. Younger than Raiders and kind of lead into that that stuff. Yeah. Has, Has Indiana Jones lost its charm? Like, not not even lost its charm, but part of what really made it kind of resonate to begin with was the villains were Nazis, like the ultimate, you know, evil in the real world. And then in the latest one, and, and well, before that, you had the sequel, which was actually a prequel, The Temple of Doom, which by most accounts are people's least favorite up until Crystal Skull. But for me personally, it's my favorite, but a lot of that has to do with that nostalgia factor. But no Nazis. There's no Nazis in it. The villains are this weirdo Indian cult. Um, and then they go back to the Nazis in, in Last Crusade and everybody like that, and then you get away from the Nazis again in Crystal Skull, and, and now the Russians are the main villains. I think Cold War era Russians are your next best thing in America. They're like Nazis light. <laughs> Diet Nazis. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because Nazis were fascists 
and the Soviets were communists, and they're like on complete opposite ends of the political spectrum. True, but as villains to an American character. So any any extreme political uh, stance is is a good enemy. To any Indiana re- Jones. Any red flag to to the. Um, to the moderate Indiana Jones. Well, that's basically what these movies are. Does teaching. it have to be a real group of people? I think it does. No. Couldn't they create their own movie where it can't the, be Hydra? Yeah, but like in the Indiana Jones mythology, couldn't they create a group like Hydra that he would be going up against? Uh, sort of. Like they created the 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 cult in the Temple of Doom, but. To have this big, sweeping, overarching, like, government-funded enemy? No, I'd rather stick to real-world events. I think that's part of the cool thing. You know, you stick to, like, real-world stuff, real history, but then you, like, kind of tweak it until, you know, you, you, like, add in the occult or supernatural. So none of us want to see Indiana Jones 2000. (laughs) Where he has, like, a robotic eye and... (laughs) Gatling gun? No, I don't think. Metal arm. Starring Cable as Indiana Jones. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people got lost. When you start getting away from real historical villains and you do aliens, that's where you lose people. So, I guess you could fight some of the... Aliens always seemed super weird to me. Like, I I could totally get behind all all the religious stuff in the... You know, the rip a beating heart out of your chest stuff, but whenever they brought aliens, I was like, what? Yeah, it was super I was like, that crazy. doesn't make sense. It was, Maybe you could go against work. the Japanese or something like that. Canada has a red flag. Maybe some secret sect of uh, Canada can fight Indy. The aliens were... I always thought they were kind of a reflection of the time in which Indiana Jones is set. The paranoia of the time in the 30s was the occult, and then in the 50s it was aliens and government cover-ups and things like that. So that's kind of where the focus shifts. I was always fine with it. It really didn't bother me. I thought it was actually a pretty interesting take. I think the execution in it was very flawed, and I basically hate Every new character, like Mutt, was couldn't have been fucking lamer. Um, yeah, Mutt? Mutt was Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf yeah. his son. Uh, Mutt he, Jones? Uh, I don't think that was his last name because that's the you know crux of the movie. Ravenwood. Is that yeah, his you don't know his until mom's. Later I don't, know, on in I don't even know if he had her last name. Mm-mm, I don't think so. That's Mutt Williams. Is uh, I think it was Mutt Williams. Was it? I don't and then, know. And then you had um, who was the uh, his friend, the the Short triple round. agent, um, wh- Harry Winston, or I forget what that actor's name is. He was real big for a little while there. He was um, oh shit, he was in The Departed, voiced Beowulf. What the hell's his name? Um, uh, trying to look it up. He was his friend, like, in the beginning of the movie, and then he, like, crossed him. You didn't see it, though, did you? I don't remember this guy that you're talking about, either. I'm well, anyway, he was a new character. I didn't like him. I didn't like, um... Keith Blanchett? 
she was okay. She was, you know, all the villains are pretty over the top in Indiana Jones. So she may have been the most over the top, but more over the top than the Kaliman guy ripping a heart out. Well, she was almost. What I kind of liked about her was, at least my interpretation was, because they they had her like as some kind of uh, psychic character that that could like kind of read your mind, and. Um, but I think that part of the, the joke or part of the, yeah, I would say part of the inside joke was she didn't really have any power and she was full of shit. All the, uh, special supernatural stuff had more to do with the, you know, the aliens. What was his buddy's name? Um. Mac? Mac. That's it. Ray Winstone? Ray Winstone. I'm unfamiliar with Ray Winstone. And then, of course, you had um, Oxley in the movie, his old, like, professor buddy, and he was not good. What's that actor's name? John Hurt. John Hurt. Good actor, but the role was just... It it just... None of the new characters were were interesting. Um, and, And it hurt it. And... The the role of Mutt could have been good, but it wasn't, I think, a lot because of Shia LaBeouf. Like, it, it's just hard to... You you want that to be a young Indiana Jones and seeing that kid and, and just knowing who he is. And, and but wasn't being, that before he turned into a massive douchebag? I think people were already a little down on him by then. Yeah. I think he was kind of just irked people. Yeah. Maybe there was something about him. I think that it was still way in advance to the general public, like, turning against him. Well, yeah, yeah, this this was before all that stuff went down, but I still think that that people were getting a little tired of him, because he was, at that time, kind of the, the flavor of the month, and he was everywhere. And yeah, he had been in Transformers, Disturbia, Constantine, iRobot, no, even Stevens and Holes before that. He was in Charlie's Angels. He was on Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, he was. I think it was the Transformers movies that really, you know, made people sick of him. I think so. I think he made people sick of him. Uh, Whenever he was basically doing press for Indiana Jones, he was kind of talking shit on it. Which is what I was getting to, how Harrison Ford is always very professional, and that fucking pissed Harrison Ford off and he basically said that's not how you conduct yourself as an actor what did he say I don't remember Uh, he basically apologized to fans for it not being a very good movie which I can appreciate because it wasn't as good as 1, 2, and 3 but you know that's you were lucky to even be allowed to be in an Indiana Jones movie so shut up bitch like you're part of the reason it wasn't good (laughs) He was apologizing for his poor behavior. Poor acting. For whatever reason, Steven Spielberg loves that kid. I don't know if he still does, but for a while he did. It was kind of like, you know, Michael Jackson's infatuation with Webster. (laughs) I think it was was probably a little bit different. Yeah, I think MJ was touching Webster. Whereas Spielberg, let's just say that he probably wasn't diddling him. (laughs) 
Matt, Ian, do you have anything to bring to the dealer's choice table tonight? Ian, why don't you take this one? I watched House of Cards this week. Oh, the, uh, the show based on the comic book, right? No, but... Well, Kevin Spacey was in Superman Returns, so I guess that's how we he, roll he, in he House was. of Cards. Or we could go with Kate Mara as one of the starring characters who will play Sue Storm in Fantastic Four. This was the first time that I saw her in anything other than um, American Horror Story, where she basically just played a crazy, you know, girlfriend. Uh, Girlfriend? Girlfriend. Thought she was pretty good in the uh, seven episodes that I've watched of House of Cards so far. Smart. Um, able to think on her feet pretty quickly. I don't know if she has that nurturing motherly angle that Matt referenced a couple of podcasts ago, but I don't think that that's what they're going to be going for in the new Fantastic Four movie. But I am pretty confident that she'll be able to do a pretty good job. So that's my contribution tonight. Well done. Brought a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about shows that we've been watching. I've been watching Breaking Bad. Paul, I think you would really like that show. Even though we just talked earlier in the pre-show about how Paul won't like that show. Convince him, Matt. So the reason why I say that... Breaking Bad, um, co-starring Dean Norris who uh, is in the Under the Dome TV show, which is based on a Stephen King book, whose son writes comic books. Yes, that's how we're piecing that all together. Yeah, that's it. What is it, the... uh, Seven Degrees of Comic Books? Yeah, Seven Degrees of Comic (laughs) Books. So, Breaking Bad, Paul, I really think you'd like it a lot. And I realize this is a different conversation that we already had pre-show, Sharply. But I don't want to have the same conversation, so I'm going to make it up now. Okay. Um, But for real, I don't think that you would necessarily not like it. Because it's got very well-defined, interesting characters. And I feel like you would appreciate that. I have never, um, I don't think I would not like it. I've just never been interested enough to go find it. Yeah, now, the thing is, I think you could potentially lose interest before it really gets going, because, frankly, I'm in the third season, and it hasn't gotten going yet. Um, but from what I've been told, there's a there's a fella at work who I'm sure is listening. You know who you are with your curly uh, hipster mustache. That only lasted five seasons? I thought it went... No. Was it only five? Yeah. Wow. Breaking Bad, five seasons. I think they had a couple of breaks in between that... Bad ones? Stretched it out. <laughs> you jester. <laughs> now, here's a question. Maybe this is stupid or naive on my part. Why is it called Breaking Bad? There's a reason I read it somewhere. Let's let's take a look and see if we can find it. 
While Sharply is looking that up, what I can tell you is that the show does get slowly better as it goes, but it really takes a while. The only thing that has me coming back, really, is the characters. Like, not so much the plot, necessarily. Like, a little bit, you know, I'm starting to get kind of intrigued, but I'm more interested in just the, the way that the characters all play off one another. And and they keep kind of building on itself, you know, you'll have two characters' interactions, and then they'll add in a brand new character, like the lawyer or something, and how he kind of works into all of it. So season one is only seven episodes. That's why I was able to fly through season one. And then season two is 13. Yeah, what's three? Uh, 13. Okay, good, because I can't handle it if these were 22 episodes, and then they were an hour each. I just... Yeah, seven, then 13 the rest of the way through. Okay. The term Breaking Bad is oh, an no, American. 16 for the finale. Breaking Bad is an American Southeast slang, meaning to turn against one's previously lawful lifestyle for one of criminal acts. Oh, well, there you go. So, Brian Cranston is a. Uh, I don't know why I'm even telling the podcast listeners this because I was the second to last one to the Breaking Bad party with only Paul still, you know, having not arrived yet, but. Um, Brian Cranston plays that character who was an upstanding uh, science teacher turned meth cooker. That's it. That's all I know. Now, from what I understand, he becomes pretty evil. He is not really evil yet in the sh- where I am in the show. Uh, is that accurate? Does he get pretty he, fucking evil? He does some pretty despicable things. Really? In the name of his business and his family, yes, he does. Yeah, I am simply not there yet. Um, And that's what I'm, like, banking on, that, you know, this shit is going to get ratcheted up to 11, hopefully soon. Um, Unfortunately for Paul, there will be no flight, laser beams, power rings, or lightsabers, so... However, there is a mid-air airplane collision. I watch plenty of shows that don't involve some kind of superpower or supernaturalness. Paul, what's your That's favorite true. show that, that has no superpowers, that is that is grounded firmly in reality? That's currently running? Yeah. No superpowers grounded in current reality. Um, probably... Sitcoms or anything. Whatever. Favorite one. Dealer's um, choice. <laughs> Probably Pretty Little Liars. Doesn't that, didn't that have an aspect of the supernatural in the first season? No. Thriller mystery. No? no? They didn't think that A was coming back from the dead? I think if you want to believe that, watching that first season, you can go that way. But... That's not how you felt. That's though. not how though that universe plays out. So I'd probably have to say Pretty Little Liars, since Supernatural and Arrow clearly. Well, that'd be that'd be the front runners, but clearly they break the rules. Like a motherfucker, Supernatural. <laughs> Is Supernatural still good? Um, yeah, good. Yeah, couple couple wonky seasons. I think this season's been been pretty good. I I caught a couple season two episodes. Um, last Tuesday, because I guess TNT runs, like, three back-to-back episodes. I also watched a couple of Charmed episodes that I've never, I've never seen Charmed before. 
But I was just flipping through, and I was like, oh, well, this Milano's pretty hot. I'm going to leave this one. <laughs> and Charmed is pretty awful. I thought you were going to say awesome. <laughs> Charm, Charmed is rough. I'm sure it's one of those things where if, if I was watching it back then, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I love Charms, Charmed. But it was it was, it was was entertaining. It was a real, real rough go. I caught Charmed a couple of weeks ago as well. And uh, Kaylee Cuoco was on some oh, of the yeah. earlier, or I guess it would, for them, some of the later yeah. episodes, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, um, I think every every Tuesday now, while I'm working from home, um, the, Air charms, the Charmed Supernatural block, the five-hour block, will be uh, will be my go-to. Because it's, it's cool going back and watching those early Supernatural episodes, since they're up, they're up to... Season 8 now. Season 1 was so good. And it's a shame to me that they never repeated that style. A little bit season 2. It, it starting to transition away into the much bigger <laughs> uh, globe-altering events. You don't like how big it got? You don't like the, well, the fighting death? Here's the problem. The devil? Here's the problem. By season 2 or 3... They went about as big as they can go. They're talking Armageddon. Yeah, I think... And yet they still tried to go beyond that. Instead of being like, eh, you know, let's let's just bring it back in and tell good stories. That was never the focus, and that's where I lost interest. They did lose their way, I think, with um, the Leviathan storyline season. I like that season because I thought the guy that played the main Leviathan was great. What was his they name? Dick something Dick or other? Roman. Dick, Dick Roman. Roman. They should have kept him around because I, I thought I thought he had that um, that Crowley charm to him. Like I don't think Crowley was supposed to be around as long as he has been. But, Is he still um, around? But yeah. Mark Shepard, the guy that plays him, like fans immediately latched onto him. They loved him. And I, I feel like Dick Roman had that same thing. But spoilers: they killed Dick Roman. Yeah, the um, after that season, that's the one that I that just I couldn't do it anymore. See, I don't think the I, I agree. You don't want to. You don't want to use Armageddon, and I think it was season four they used Armageddon. Okay, because it was only written as like a four or five season thing, and then it just be, was yeah, it too was popular. It was supposed to be five seasons, but it was you know the ratings were still good. No reason to no reason to stop it there. I mean, they they had a clear vision for what the show was going to be when they started it, hence the name Supernatural. Then, all of a sudden, it just became, you know, Sam and Dean fight hell. But it, That's a but Supernatural it, thing. But it isn't so much. And that's it's where... It's a religious... Like, a, it's got more of, like, a tone in, in how I understand, I understand that. I know it's not ghouls and ghosts and werewolves, but it still has a supernatural element. It's not like they're fighting computer hackers. It still is ghouls and ghosts and werewolves. Like, the, the, the demons... So then are you agreeing with me or disagreeing? Because you started disagreeing. No, I was agreeing with... I was agreeing with Matt that Armageddon was too big to use that early. Armageddon okay. is... Like, Arm- Armageddon's what you need to call in all of the Avengers for. Too big for... Or at least for, Harry Stamper. Yeah, <laughs> right. Too, too big for, for season four. But I think the ultimate problem with Supernatural is that a lot of the charm in those early seasons is that it's Sam and Dean against the world. 
as these two brothers against everybody else. But at some point, they decided, you know what? It's better if Sam and Dean hate each other all the fucking time. And they're always keeping secrets from each other, and they're always hiding shit, and they're never... It's never those two against the world anymore. And that's... that's it's, Every so often, they'll go back to it. Where everything's out in the open, and they're, they're brothers again. But then they wind up getting away from it. And at, at the core of that story, it's the brothers that matter. It's their relationship that you know should should be the hook for that show, but they're not. They haven't even been doing a whole lot of that. That's what upsets me about it. I'm right there with you. I don't know what I, I agree with that. Maybe agreeing or not agreeing with you about the uh, heaven and hell overturn overturn. Ah, I can't speak. Try it again. <laughs> Just slow. Overtones. There you go. I think you can do it. Uh, not being supernatural ish. I, I think it's still. <laughs> Still a supernatural it thing. It is, but but it was in a different way that first season. I mean, yeah, I guess it was the creature feature of the week, but that's what I loved about it. And and yet you still had an overarching storyline throughout. But it was just so cool that each episode was number one scary. When was the last time that show was scary? Number two, they, they like had. It was kind of dark. The way it was shot was different. It had a... They, they were like mini-movies. Every single episode. Well, when's, when's the last time you watched it? The Le- Leviathan. Because they still, they still do horror-type stuff. It's so few and far between. Or maybe it's not now, but it was up till that point. The last couple seasons, they've gotten back to... They've they've tried to mesh the two together. You know uh-huh. they're doing the whole um, you know fight for hell thing now, uh-huh. but at the same time, while they're figuring out what to do about the fight for hell, they're still going on cases. Mm-hmm. So they're they're mixing they're, they're mixing the two together, and it's been really good. But the thing that sticks with me is that Sam and Dean are still are they still butting odds? heads about stuff because they're always lying about something or there's right. always some kind of um, something to divide them and I agree with you Paul it's better whenever those two are on the same side instead of fighting with each other I mean, there's a point this season where Sam says we're not brothers anymore mm-hmm. and then he walks out of the room and you're like what the fuck well, it's killing me yeah I mean you know, Dean was lying. So you still pretty... watch it then? Yeah, I still watch okay. it too. Yep. <clears throat> yep. One of the sh- one of the go to shows if it's on the DVR. The wife says supernatural because those dudes are handsome, and I'm like, all right. And I'm like, all right, because those dudes are handsome. <laughs> I'm glad that the show is still going because I like those two actors, and I feel like. That's all they're ever gonna do. Right. Yeah, that I feel like that too. You know what they're gonna be doing? Showing up at fucking conventions. Yeah. They're gonna pull the old Tom Welling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Though Tom Welling has a guest star in Game Day, the super exciting movie about the Cleveland Browns draft day. Boy, am I excited! I actually am excited. How I'm the fuck does that movie get made? Sports who, movie, who? man. Yeah, but it's not even like. Fun sports movie. People love the draft, man. I love the draft. Are you excited about draft day? Yeah, Jennifer Garner's in that piece. 
Puff Daddy? Tom Welling? Kevin Costner? What's not to like? You tell me. Who plays the coach of the team? I know him too. Kevin mm, Costner. No, he's, no, he's, the, he's the GM. He's the GM. Billy D. Williams. How amazing would that be? No, he's the coach in a different movie called Frank Langella is in this place. <laughs> yeah, you know, watching the trailer, I was like, they got a lot of a lot of a lot of actors in there, but I, I don't know. I mean, it just it looks it looks bad. Looks Dennis bad. Leary, maybe. Arizona, David Ramsey. Come on now. <laughs> I don't know how you can say this looks bad. Wade Williams of Prison Break fame. Are there any movies that we're looking forward to before Spider Man? Uh, I don't think so. Not really. I'd like to go see the Muppet movie. Boy, did that tank? Did it? Yeah, I think it opened at number three. Yeah. Godzilla style, huh? <laughs> oh, zinger! Earlier before the podcast, Ian and I were having a very civil Godzilla conversation. And uh, ever since we hit record on the old podcast, on the old garage band, it's like Sharply has broken into his WWE wrestling heel character. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like that? Am I being... Or are you being overly dramatic, sir? I think you're being overly dramatic, sir. I might be. Might be. Much like Matt's wrestling character. The Casal. What's my wrestling character? The finishing move is the the Casal. What's his character's name? Menacing Matt. What is your character's name? I don't. What do we? What? What's your wrestling character's name? Did you ever make up a wrestling character growing up? I don't remember. I never did. You clearly did, though, Paul. No, I didn't. You didn't? I never did either. No? No, which I, I felt like such an outsider listening to the episode of that old comic smell. And, you know, and I talked to Dom, and Dom was like, yeah, I absolutely created my own character. Yeah, no. Like, Man, am I the only one that... Like, I was into wrestling, but I never, I never created my own character. I never really was into wrestling, so maybe that's where I, I didn't have any kind of character. You weren't into wrestling? Not at all. Nope. Really? No interest. Not even during the big 80s Hulk Hogan push? Nope. Not then. Not during the you weren't like Rock a Stone Cold thing. No, I didn't like him because he was black. <laughs> you didn't like Coco Beware? No. No. What about... Shocking, uh, I know. What about Vern? Bad News Brown? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Yeah, what about... Uh, Booker T. No, no. What about Roddy Rowdy Piper when he painted himself half black? Did he really do that? Yeah. How dare he? (laughs) Oh, man, I didn't really like wrestling all that much. Although I do appreciate The Rock and all his taglines. Never really watched it. Smells you're cooking. Mm Mm-hmm. The Rock has ballooned in size since he first showed up on the scene back around Wrestlemania 14, well, He got 15. gigantic and then he dropped a lot of weight because it was impairing him getting movie roles. Really? And now he's a, he's a lot more um, lean than he used to. Yeah, he's I thought he, gigantic. I thought he blew back up for the Fast and the Furious and Pain and Gain and uh, G.I. Joe, all those movies. But I mean, like, he has to be on steroids, right? Like, that's not... 
human beings don't do that, right? I'd imagine that he's doing something. I'd say probably some it's steroids quite the, in quite there. The forehead. I, re- I refuse to believe the rock is on the juice. Why would you believe that? I would like to think he's the last bastion of honesty in the world. You have seen him, right? Yeah, but I've also seen, you know, like Christian Bale lose all that weight for the machinist mm-hmm. and then put it on for Batman. Yeah, but he wasn't, a, he was never a hulk of a human being. But The Rock well, is, and The Rock has always been a hulk of a human no, being. No, he hasn't always been. What I was just saying, WrestleMania 14, 15, somewhere in there when he wrestled Ken Shamrock. Uh, I forgot about Ken Shamrock. It's just gigantic. Yeah, but I don't think it's I don't think it's the juice gigantic. I think he just works the fuck out. Did anybody see Pain and Gain? I did. Was it good? No. The trailers would have you believe that that movie was funny, right? It's not. It's not at all. Very serious. Extremely serious, based not on a, a dark true comedy story. at all. I wouldn't say so. Kind of like Fargo is a dark comedy? It was not funny like that. Based on a true story of some pretty despicable bank robbers that are completely unlikable. So you you don't want them to be victorious in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That kind of undercuts the whole movie. I am excited about The Rock. Uh, it looks like he's going to be in a Hercules movie coming up. So that looks kind of good. Did you watch the trailer? I didn't watch the trailer. I'm just looking at some of this. Watch stuff. the trailer. <laughs> final, oh, no. Finally, so, you revise that statement. Oh, okay. Is it, yeah, yeah, okay. Let's put it this way. When you see the trailer, it's going to be about an eight-point oh, swing. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you remember uh, Scorpion King 2? I went to the theaters to see it, so oh. yes. Yeah, well, that's, that's what Hercules looks like. Ouch. All he does is fight big... Monsters like big animals. Hmm. The um, the Rock has been on such a good roll here. I mean, with the you mean you rock know, and roll? Yes, GI <laughs> Joe. I saw a movie he was in uh, Snitch, which was pretty good. I would like him to be a little more discerning of his roles. I don't want to see The Rock do something like Hercules because I think it's going to tank. It likely will, um, although it, I think it'll probably be more successful than the last Hercules that they made a few months ago. Did they make a Hercules a few months ago? My point exactly. Ouch. Was that... Um, was it like direct to Netflix or no, something? No, it was in the theaters. There were commercials. Really? What was it called? Hercules. Or The Legend of Hercules. Okay. With Kevin Sorbo? No, with Kellen Lutz. Oh, Kellen Lutz. There you go. Now you remember this. I I don't remember this at all. Painfully. That looks brutal. So, Matt, you um, you gave us a little hint earlier that you bought a CD that was uh, somehow comic book related. Yeah. And judging by tonight's uh, how we're doing this. It the loosest connection to comic books is necessary. I mean, it's, a, it's a tighter connection than when we were talking about Breaking Bad or even Supernatural. Well, Supernatural has comic books, actual Supernatural DC licensed comic books. True, that are actually really good. There was the one series that was really good when the New Fifty Two first launched. Do you remember that one? Uh, I forget what it was called. Yeah, they go to Ireland. 
The yes. dog, Dogs of Edinburgh? Yes. I read um, a couple of those. It was okay. Good art, too. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the, that, that, the, the tone of that book and the artwork was like the original um, series that launched. I, I don't know if it was called Beginning's End, but it was about how John Winchester gets the cult. Okay, I didn't but it, it had that that same style of of artwork. But that's that was a really good story. I don't really remember details, but I just remember liking it. And most of the time, your comic book counterpart to your TV show is going to be terrible. Yeah, and I, I I bought it just because I'm a fan of the show, wanted to give it a go. But I was pleasantly surprised. Like some of those books are real cool. So, Matt, you bought a CD. So I got a CD this week. Um, I'm going to be talking about a CD that hasn't even officially launched yet. But my dear friends at, am I allowed to say their name, broke the street release date and put this thing out. I'd say don't say their name because uh, somebody can get somebody pantsuit off. Somebody unwittingly. But unwittingly, that will probably be good for the podcast. To have somebody Good podcast get sued. material to have, yeah, to talk about Matt getting his pants suit off. Well, it won't be Matt; it will be his friend. Uh, no, it's not. It's, but, I mean, they're not really my friends, that. But okay, I, put them, put them out there. The exchange. Oh shit! They routinely break street release dates on shit. They'll get it in a week early. They put it out as soon as they get it. They don't give a fuck. So. They broke the street release date for Tuomas uh, Hollow Painin's The Life and Times of Scrooge. Oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ. Now you're looking at it like, why would you buy a CD about Donald Duck's uncle? Because you're a moron. Fair. No. But how you, you have proven that you are a closed-minded nitwit. <laughs> this CD is um, it's written by as, as some people some of my friends know I like heavy metal and um, this music is actually written and composed by a heavy metal musician uh, who is the main songwriter in a very symphonic band called Nightwish uh, now, I had no interest in the storyline when I found out about this project, but being a fan of his music, I was intrigued. And I was like, wait, is it really? Like, is that just what he's calling it? Or what is this? As it turns out, The Life and Times of Scrooge is an actual graphic novel from years ago. I don't know if it's written. I think it's written and illustrated by a creator named Don Rosen, who is a very, very good artist. He did the original to artwork. The he did the original artwork on the CD. There he is in the booklet. Guy on the right is the, uh, the, the composer of Finnish Descent. The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck. Which... Written by Don Rosa. Rosa. Which, by the way, is, like, totally impossible to find it. Like, if you go on eBay, this graphic novel is going for, like, $100. Um, I don't know why it hasn't been reprinted, but um, by all accounts, it's a very good story in spite of the fact that it's about ducks. And 
it's like this kind of globe trotting style adventure with like a lot of you know family and 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 excitement and from what I've gathered I haven't read it I want to read it now this CD that just came out is it's like a soundtrack to a movie that's never been made and if there's another genre of music that I love it's movie soundtracks so it's kind of there, there's really no metal elements to this it's it's strictly a soundtrack and it is so well composed it's um I actually sent it to my brother who is um he likes soundtracks savant well no he's he likes music he he majored in music in college and um and we both like a lot of the same soundtracks and I sent it to him and I said listen to this and we agreed like this is better than like most modern day movie soundtracks you know like people were comparing him the way he had written this to you know like uh Hans Zimmer you know Hans Blue Balls um and and other composers of that nature so it was excellent I loved it I've probably listened to it six seven times uh since I bought it on Saturday are you a fan of Scrooge McDuck, DuckTales, fame? Well, I was a fan of DuckTales, and I always... I believe Scrooge McDuck was created for the Mickey Mouse... Uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. They needed a, a Scrooge character, and that's where he came from. He originated out of needing a, an old miserly character. And I used to have the, the, the record for it, mm-hmm. you know, the big... Whatever that was, forty-five, and and I would play it on my parents' stereo at Christmas time. Created by Carl Barks in nineteen forty-seven, Scrooge McDuck. Loved it, and uh, so I was always a fan ever since then. And you know, obviously, I like like Ducktales being a child of the eighties. And um, I, because of this, now I would have never had any interest in checking out the Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck graphic novel, but because of seeing his passion, smells good, doesn't it? It does smell good. Seeing, smells, like it smells, a, smells like a dark horse book. I was going to say, it smells seeing, like adventure. Seeing Thomas <laughs> Tuomas Halopainen's enthusiasm for this story, uh, and, and it being taken so seriously by him, it's made me think, well, maybe there really is something to it. He said, you know, it's like my favorite, like, story ever. So, I mean, this is definitely a pet project for him. And I think that that's a really cool thing that, you know, of all the, the things to be inspired by out there, The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck is the, is the book. And he decided he was going to take that and, and apply his how he is inspired by it to it and then give that to the world and then as a result people like me are going to experience that and now I am going to check out what inspired him I think that's actually a really cool thing so you are in luck that even though it's been out of print for several years Boom Studios um, is has been reprinting the hardcover volumes so. oh really they're out is it on Comixology? Uh, I'm just reading the wiki page. Oh, okay. So, you might be able to read along and have the music playing in the background kind of set the mood for you. It's, uh... The, the music is very powerful. 
on, on the CD. Like, it has very strong themes, a lot of things that I like in soundtracks. Um, and, like I said, like, I've, it's not all that often that I get an album anymore, and I just listen to it over and over and over again. If I may read a selection from The Last Sled. Farewell, White Agony Creek. Farewell, the three spring thaws. One day, I will return to you. This is cool because you get to find out how he got the vault full of money. We all want to know how. And this... It's the origin story of Scrooge McDuck. ...is the key to us learning that. Home is the sailor, home from the sea. And the hunter, home from the hill. So did uh, Thomas Thomas Holopine write these lyrics? Are these his or are these from the books? My assumption is it's probably a mix of both. It worries me that there is a credit for the voice of Scrooge McDuck in here somewhere... Yeah, in the beginning, there's like a narration. Yeah, and it's supposed to be Scrooge. I don't know. Uh, is it the guy from Ducktales? I, I don't think it's really him. Because it fucking should be. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. It, he's credited in the back of the book. Alan, so something or other. I also, you know, it's there's obvious um, ties to this being the you know the the Disney story. Mm-hmm. But yet, maybe they couldn't... Because the, the album's called The Life and Times of Scrooge. McDuck is is vacant from the title. There's no Disney acknowledgement from what I can tell what's anywhere. The, what's the name? Alan, Alan what? Alan Young oh. is the name on DuckTales. That's Alan but, Reed. Yeah, then. very close. Oh. You have to be Alan. I'm so excited. Yeah. Scrooge, I know. But the uh, the album has very nice artwork uh, in the booklet and on the cover, and I think it's a nice nice package. And if anybody likes soundtracks, even though this isn't a real movie or anything, I do recommend it. Uh, it's great storytelling with music, so I recommend it. There's very little lyrics throughout. Uh, it is mainly a symphonic journey. It's right up your alley. It's very much right up my alley. And, you know, this this singer, or this um, this composer, Tuomas Holopainen... Who looks like a total creeper. A little bit. He, he writes a lot of, like, heavy metal stuff, but he's always mixed in the symphonic aspects, and, and there's just tons of... Like musical melodies throughout his stuff, that he kind of combines that whole soundtrack with heavy metal, which leads to some pretty cool results. So there you have it. I'm excited. I recommend it, and I hope people give it a chance and check it out because I don't think you would hear it and say this sucks. McSauce Nation, I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> To check this album out and please go to the Facebook page, hit up a little depressed Matt on Twitter and let him know how you feel about his recommendation here. Yeah, I don't think that's um I don't think that's my bag of chips. No, I don't think it is either, but I think if you heard it you wouldn't say it was bad. 
No, I'm, I'm sure I'd, I think I'd be able to recognize the um, artistic quality in it. But, like, I listen I listen to music um, for to gain, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, emotional movement out of it. But, like, I don't, I don't think that would... Which is the quest for wealth? Is not emotional yeah, enough well, for you? A duck's journey west? More like relationship type stuff. Right, I, which I find a lot of the things that you listen to actually devoid of right. emotion, whereas like this tells a story and it and it pulls like different emotions based on like there's so, there's a lot of um, variation in the music and it's not it, it can do it with just sounds really. And I'm sure that once I understand the story, once I do read it and then have the uh, music companion, it will be even more effective. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this album has done exactly what it needed to do for me. First of all, I bought the damn thing. Secondly, it makes me want to go out and buy the book, too. Companion piece. Well, I didn't see that coming. So, I read a comic book last week. A little uh, Vertigo book called Coffin Hill. I've seen ads for this book all over DC books. I've seen them on the shelf at the comic shop and the covers. I've, Dave Johnson does all the covers, and I've always liked his work no matter what book he's been doing. But he's pretty much just a cover guy. I think he did some of the su- the supernatural covers. Uh, I don't remember if he did, but I thought you were going to say I think he did some of the Super Patriot comics. One of the spinoff characters from Savage Dragon. Did he? Yeah, he did the full issues huh. for the uh, first Super Patriot miniseries. So the aside from just good artwork, all the Coffin Hill, the Coffin Hill books are always like very well designed, and that's kind of what Dave Johnson stuff does. It's, it's Dave you know, Johnson. Very well designed. Yeah, I think Johnson doesn't look like his typical. So coming off the way it's colored. Coming off of reading Lock and Key, which you know was a kind of dark horror type story, I figured I'd give this a go, not knowing anything about it, other than I've liked the covers, and that is not a comic book move that I make. Matt, you do that like once a week. What? Twice a week sometimes. What? Buy a book just based on the cover. I do not know. I do not do that. I need to know know what I'm getting into. And um, I got into an interesting enough book to keep me coming back. It's an adult book. Some nudity. There's some swears. Uh oh. Um, but there's some swears. The story's super. What kind of swears? Like, give me an example. F bombs. Whoa. <laughs> but uh, the story's real, real confusing. Stuff it like jumps, fuck you, ghost. Yeah, it jumps back and forth uh, chronologically. It jumps in the future, then back to the past. Never really. And then back to the future. Yeah, it doesn't Going really tell back you in time where where it's at or what's happening. You don't. By the end of the issue, you don't understand the chronological order of what happens to the main girl or how a lot of the pieces line up. And I'm sure that's setting up the mystery for coming back to get issue number two, uh, which I'll, I'll get. It's It's been out for a while now. I think they're, they're up to at least issue seven at this point. But I'd like to go back and uh, pick the rest up. I've been intrigued enough. I think the interior art is okay. Um, draw some uh, cute ladies in there. 
I'm always a fan of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, there's some uh, serious like witch type horror stuff happening. So I'm in. Really? I'm in. Gonna give it give it another go. Yeah. Hmm. Yep, yeah, looks pretty interesting. Just flip right through here. Good art. Looks pretty spooky. I also read uh, the first two issues of the Starman Omnibus, which I like very much so far. Yeah. James Robinson? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. Yeah, it's from, uh, it's from 94. Um, but Tony Harris's art is so stylized that it doesn't really feel like a book from 94. Feels like something that could, uh, you know, aside from the coloring, it feels like something that you could pass today. Yeah. Um, but what I really liked about it is that the is the mythology of the DC universe that James Robinson decides to play with. Like, I love the DC universe and all the old mythology and going back to those golden age heroes and leading up to the more modern day Hal Jordans and and uh, the newer guys. So, seeing him kind of take the Golden Age heroes, and then bring them into into the nineties has been has been really cool through two issues. I read some um, using Marvel Unlimited app. Read a couple old Bullseye um, comic books from the early two thousands. Daniel Way and Steve Dillon of Preacher fame, um, telling an origin story of Bullseye. After I really looked at it and, and checked out the way that they presented Bullseye and Punisher was involved in this and Daredevil and just how much fun I had with it and the tone that was set in that book, it was very Preacher-like and it made me question who had more influence on Preacher. Was it really Garth Ennis or did Steve Dillon have more to do with how much I like that story than I ever suspected. Um, What's the answer? I think Steve Dillon might have more to do with what I like about Preacher than I had ever thought. Because Garth Ennis, man, he really misses when he misses. Um, <laughs> Rover, Red Charlie, or whatever the hell that was. Rover, being, Red Charlie. Being a, a prime example, but not the only one. He, I want my money back on that one. But that was brutal. But it's not the first time. He had a... I think it was called the... the was it the Witches or the or something like that. It was about um, bomber pilots, a uh, female squadron of bomber pilots in World War II. And that wasn't very good. The second half of The Boys was just utter garbage. When when Garth Ennis isn't on his game, man, you really can see it. But like I brought up last week, just like any other big-time writer that has had a a lengthy career in comics, no matter how elite they were, I feel like they all drop off at some point. Like, they never finish as strong as they... There is a peak. Like, guys don't just keep going until they die. At the top of their game. Um, by the way, that Coffin Hill looks really good. Yeah, I've read a bunch of stuff that Steve Dillon has been the artist on. Uh, he even did some work on um, Supreme Powers. He did uh, the Night Hawk, I believe. 
one shot, and that had a real similar feel to all of his other work. It all feels the same. It has the same kind of like dark humor that I thought was, you know, a lot of Ennis is doing, but it clearly isn't. Mm-hmm. So, yep, Punish or uh, not Punisher, uh, Bullseye, Greatest Hits, and Bullseye vs. Punisher were the two uh, books that I read. Both really good. Highly recommend. So, writers never stay on top of their game throughout their career. Artists, on the other hand, I think that you can point to a few examples and say that they still have it just as well, if not better, than they ever did. Guys that have been around for decades. Anybody spring to mind for you? John Romita Jr. is the one that comes to mind. I don't know if I totally agree with you on that, but that's the first person that jumps to mind. His work in the 80s is a shadow of what it is now and how great he is now. I wasn't even thinking that, but he's he's better now than he's ever been. I'm he's curious. been in comics for, what, four decades? Yeah. I'm curious to see the Superman book he's going to be on because I haven't been overly impressed with the two promo images that they've shown I haven't so either. He, I've, certain guys are meant to draw certain characters. He's a Spider-Man guy. He really is. I think that blocky style that he brings might be cool for for uh, Superman. Any Maybe. book that he takes over, Maybe. I'm always excited to see how he stylizes it, makes it his own. Yeah, before I pass judgment, I want to see the full book. I want to yeah. see a full sure. a full issue, full page layouts. Because so far, those promo images are just like, ooh, I don't know about this. I was about to say that I'd like to see his Batman, but... You have seen his Batman because he illustrated Punisher versus Batman back in the 90s. Uh, when Marvel and DC used to play kind of nice, you know, around the Amalgam days. Um, they did a crossover with, with those two. I wish they'd play characters. nice again. There, there's way too much of a... I don't know exactly where it came from. I don't know if it was once DC kind of like became the the number one publisher for a short time. Maybe ever since then, Marvel's been kind of pissy. Even the fans can't keep it straight and be nice. And why were they able to do that and 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 work together to come up with these cool crossovers? Which, to be perfectly honest, none of them were that good. Because they were working for a common goal. To go against Image at that time. That yeah, that could be. Was playing. I, I don't think that Image plays in the same realm as they do now. Image doesn't really do the superhero game as much as DC and Marvel do. But at that point, they were kind of. Maybe they didn't have the market share, but they certainly had the eyes of uh, the fans and the 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 industry kind of talking about them for mm-hmm. a good two or three years there and. I, maybe DC and Marvel felt that they needed to team up and do something to battle a common foe. It feels like there's more of a, more of an us versus them attitude now than there ever has been. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I don't know, you know, what's with the market share and the image stuff, and you know, any any other independent books, you know, that are you know also pushing market share numbers. But I feel like now it's a very, you know, it's like a it's a, it's a big. Uh, Rivalry between the two of them. Even with their movies and TV properties, but you get like that same feeling. You know, you'd think it's only going to help 
both companies if they put together some big intercompany crossover because it's you know books those books are going to sell put Jeff Johns and Brian Bendis name on a book would you guys like to see that I don't really have a big interest in it I'd like to see it I think it I think it could be very interesting it could be because I think a lot of um, you know people tend to really like the more modern style of comic book writing and we haven't really experienced any crossovers between these two companies given the current way comics are done you know we experienced it in the 90s when arguably the stories were shallower or would it be more shallow we can say shallower and you know if they did it today it would probably be a lot different we're in the golden age of comic books you know you have you know some of the best best writers writing right now. Some of the best artists, uh, you know, between you know digital and print, the quality of the books, the quality of the creation of the books is great, and this would be a great time, great time to do it. But no one wants to give you know the right. other any kind of edge, right? And who who loses the, the fans. fans? But not when they listen to this podcast. That's right. You know what happens when they listen to this podcast sharply? I think they win. I think. Fans win. Yeah. That's right. I think that's going to do it for us tonight. I guess I didn't read anything this week. Do you have something to add? Yeah. Um, what did you read this week? I read a new miniseries. Didn't finish the miniseries, because um, there's only two issues of it out. But it's called Monster and Madman. Anybody know what that's about? Singular, monster, and madman. Monster and madman. A guy that's not all that stable up there in a monster? Ooh, look at that artwork on the cover. That's pretty creepy. Looks like a a melting face. No, it's it's a face coming up out of water is what it is. Ah. Dummy. Yeah. How, how dare you? Looks like Waterface is what I meant to say. Uh, there, there is a subtitle to this comic book. Uh, the Secret History of Jack the Ripper and Frankenstein's Monster. I think you already lost me. <laughs> I think you lost me with the subtitle. This is written by Steve Niles of 30... Uh, 30... Days of Night. 30 Days of Night. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe it's the same artist... Um, Maybe not. What was the artist's name on that? Ty Templeton. Oh, was that the artist on it? Well, this is not him. This is Damien Worm. Oh, yeah. Oh, Damien Worm. 30 Days of Night. Because I remember 30 Days of Night being eh, kind of rough to look at. Yes. Yeah, that's that's Ty Templeton. Well, so is this. <laughs> what made you buy this? The premise. You know, being a fan of, of horror... Oh, yeah. uh, Ben Ben Templesmith. Ty Templeton is the guy that draws animated series style. Oh, that's ben right. Templesmith is the part to look at artwork. Uh, yeah, the the premise is cool because I like horror and I also like serial killers. I find them really fascinating and I read about them. And uh, Jack the Ripper is is one of my I would consider one of my favorites. I think he's one of the most fascinating ones. It, I tend to get interested in the, the serial killers that they have never caught. Like, those are the ones that really capture my imagination. So, this storyline is three issues. 
And it starts off with Frankenstein. It, do you guys know the story of like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, how it ends? Can I spoil it? You can spoil it. It's been a couple hundred years. Uh, <laughs> basically, Frankenstein ends up... I think he killed his, his creator, Dr. Frankenstein, on this like iceberg. Um, and he was just going to freeze to death in the middle of nowhere. And that's basically how it ends. And he dies next to his master, who he had killed. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe his master... Anyway, his master died, and he's right there with him, and he dies, and um, that's how the story ends. But in this version, it picks up right after that, and the monster decides he's going to move on and and find civilization, and he does that. And it it's very weird the way that this issue is set up, because it is purely set up, but knowing that it's only a three-issue series, it's... Kind of weird to waste so much. Issues two and three better be damn exciting. Right. So, basically, you know, the monster shows up in, you know, in civilization in Norway, I think. And he takes a job working as a a seaman on on a ship. Of course he does. And, uh, he, I don't know if it's the captain or somebody. How did he interview for that job? Can he just basically he, say, he, like, Rrr. He picks up, like, something. They're like, you're hired, seaman. I don't know what it is, but he said, I need passage. I can work. And he goes, are you deaf? I said, I have all the men I need. So Frankenstein finds something very big and picks it up and walks it by this guy. And he goes, I can work. And he goes, right up the plank, please. So he convinced him by showing his strength. Oh. And so he, he sails along on this ship, and he, he comes across these, like, kind of deviant other seamen. And, uh... The old deviant seamen. Go and, look out. And, uh... Finally, like, comes upon a, a village where he is he's asked by somebody on the ship, go kill this guy for me. He was supposed to pay me. He never did. Here's some coin. Go kill him. And Frankenstein's monster goes to the town, and he's going to go kill him. And for whatever reason, he decides not to, and he just gives the the guy the money and comes back to the ship. So he does, like, the exact opposite of what he was there to do? Yes. Nice. And and, uh, he doesn't have a purpose. He doesn't even understand, like, why he's alive. You know, he's got, like, these jumbled-up memories, but they're other people's, and he just, like exists and and he he has no place on earth really and um so i think he decided he was going to basically die on this ship so like he basically gets back on the ship before everyone else except for him and the guy that wanted him to kill the other person and the ship sails away and it gets taken by a wave next thing you know frankenstein washes up on shore and who's there to greet him but jack the ripper and how convenient for the title of the story. Right. And that's that's how it ends. He says, "Can I be as uh, can I be of assistance?" And he offers his help. So Please then, tell me that you like this book. It it's interesting. It's you know, it's got like kind of it, the art itself is very rough, but at the same time it, it it creates a very incredible sense of atmosphere with the colors 
and just kind of the creepy nature. Whenever you can discern what you're seeing in panels, it's very creepy, starting with that cover. Yeah, this art's not bad. It's pretty crazy looking, but it, it is creepy. So, two more issues I'm definitely in. Yeah? Um, yeah. Seems like a stretch. That's, That's why a, it's only going to be easy, three issues. Yeah, it's a light commitment yeah, to three exactly. issues. Not I, like uh, Red Rover Charlie, you know, not knowing how long uh, Ennis will keep that going. Doesn't matter, because... Casal's not going to keep it going for much longer. Because <laughs> Crossed is going on a lot longer than I ever expected. How many going. issues is Crossed? It's, it's at least three, I think it might be five years run now. It's a lot. I don't know off the top of my head, though. Yeah, Crossed has been around for, for a long time. Um, well? Six volumes of Crossed? That's a lot. Paul, you're looking at, at uh, the Madman and the Monster. Or, no, it's the Monster and the Madman. What do you think? Looks alright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the art's, the art's not bad. It looks like some cool Ben Temple Smith stuff. Must be uh, uh, Steve Niles' you know, preferred uh, vehicle of artwork. Mm-hmm. Damien Worm. It's, the name just sounds fairly like the guy crawled out of hell to draw this comic book. Yeah, you yeah, have to draw like that if your name's Damien Warren. That's yeah. not a stage name or anything. <laughs> Do either of you have anything else to add to got, this episode 52? I got this other soundtrack um, called the Life and Times of... I don't know, I got nothing. So that's going to do it for this episode. One whole year of podcasting. One whole year. I think next week we're going to be back with some legit news. Maybe. Maybe, uh, Maybe. Better foundation of topics. Slow news week, folks. Give us a break. Thanks to all of our listeners for sticking around for a full 52 issues. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. Matt Casale. We'll see you next week. <laughs>